me again, idiot programmer Robert Nagel. How's it going, Robert? It's going great. We're surviving the fourth wave of COVID now, is it? <laughs> yeah, it's actually pretty horrifying in, in Texas, but I'll leave that for another, another day. Time. Well, that's, that, that's the second pick, actually. We're, we're talking about Anuka's Mosaica album and Mireya Villar's La Plaga, which of course means the plague. So very appropriate for COVID times as the pandemic rages. We're going to start with Anuka's Mosaica. And some basic specs for that first. It came out in 2018, has 10 tracks of 43 minutes in total. Uh, they're from Ukraine, which I expect we'll talk about quite a lot on the Vidlik label. Both of our picks today can be found on the struggling MP3 downloading site eMusic, of which we are both last standing supporters, perhaps. What do you think of Anuka? How would you like to start? Well, first of all, we're not supposed to talk about pop music in this podcast, but I'm going <laughs> to have to throw out how I heard about them for the first time because it's a good excuse for hearing about it. I kind of grown to be a fan of the Eurovision Song Contest and it's often hard to watch but if, as an American because they geo-block it. But I've been watching it off and on and the 2021 this year was more phenomenal than it's ever been. It just so happens that Ukraine won it in 2016, I think. I, I think I have the dates right. Jamala won it with this very passionate song that had kind of political overtones, although you're not allowed to have politics in the show. And one advantage of the country that wins a song contest is that they get to host it. And if they get to host it, they have to, can have some local talent do stuff. And so they had Anuka do this interval act, which means that while people are voting on who the best performer was for that evening, they have just some random band play music. You know, I didn't even think anything of it. And, you know, basically I was watching this YouTube live and not really paying attention to the band, but then I just heard the, the music and it was so, it was so beautiful and so striking and so dance-like and techno and kind of cutting edge, strikingly beautiful Slavic looking women <laughs> performing. <laughs> and there were lots of crazy instruments and just an unbelievable sound. And it blew the house down, in my opinion. And mm. I think they were getting popular in their own region for a while. But I think that the Eurovision was, quote, their big break. I shared with people the video of this act. And they have recorded some other things. And I have learned a, a little bit more of this. I should mention I lived in Ukraine for a year and uh, fell in love with a Ukrainian girl and traveled to Ukraine several times. And I don't, I don't know every area of Ukraine, but, you know, I'm more interested in Ukraine than the average American would be. So yeah. uh, I've been following both Ukrainian and, and Russian music. And this struck me as very prototypical uh, Ukraine. The main person behind it is somebody named Nata Zizchenko. Okay. <laughs> Zizchenko, Nata, I guess. She's a blonde-headed uh, girl, a girl, woman who, who's been singing. And her husband, Yevhan Filatov, 
has also been with her from the very start with this group. However, it's interesting to say that she did a group with her brother called something tomatoes. I forget what it was. Boiled tomatoes or something like that. It's not important. She and her husband did another group called Manekin, which Mm -hmm. is just a conventional pop group. And the only thing I would compare it to is like Ukrainian Bruno Mars. Well, I don't want to say average. It's very typical (laughs) and not that striking. And in comparison, Anuka is both stylistically interesting, has interesting lyrics, has beautiful singing. And one thing that Nada brings to the table is that she is the granddaughter of a well-known instrument maker. And that's how she got her start. I'm sure she went to music school and became a singer, etc. But she's been around her household. She's lived around all kinds of funky instruments and she's unafraid to play them and, and get into them. And so one thing that that's interesting about Anuka is that it's both an interesting sound. They can do a lot of interesting sounds. And also it's, it's a good live event. The Eurovision uh, interval act that, that they did was pretty incredible from a visual point of view. They have light shows and they have crazy instruments. One of the instruments is called a trombita. It's sort of a longish trumpet that really just is jarring to hear for the first time. And she plays this flute-like instrument like a fife. It's like a sopica, sopica, I think. I would put them in the category of folk electronica. They like to go back to their roots. They like to have a lot of folk styles. And there's a a way of singing in Ukraine that's very on the farm, the rural. It's sort of very harmonic. And the voices sound kind of straining a little little bit. But it it is beautiful, even though maybe people outside Ukraine wouldn't really love it. I was going to say in Eurovision, they have a weird mix of folk songs, with super energetic pop songs with this electronica. And it's, I think, Anuka never really participated in this Eurovision Song Contest, but yeah, she could belong to it. And and a lot of the other Ukrainian submissions have incorporated some just out there stylistic uh, things uh, having to do with folk music. Some of the countries in Eurovision give very conventional acts, or, and, and a lot of them sing in English. It's kind of funny, but they all mm. uh, almost all sing in English. But Ukraine has been the notable exception that they've sung in Ukrainian a lot, although it's sort of where they use multilingual stuff. But they're under afraid to embrace what is distinct about their sound. And that's why they win. <laughs> I mean, I guess it, <laughs> it's kind of an argument in their favor. And it's really interesting. Countries that we think of being dominant in terms of the world music, England, France, whatever, Germany, Spain, don't do particularly well in Eurovision. And it's just like Italy's done very well. Ukraine's done very well. Ireland has done incredibly well. And it's just really very interesting how some people, some of the countries will submit very ethnic things that other people rejected all altogether. They won the first time with Ruslana, which was kind of folk dance rock. And she gave a wild performance. And then Jamala won it in 2016. And in this year, in fact, there was somebody who 
a singer that reminds me very much of Anuka. It's called Go A. And they basically did this primitive pounding dance electronica. I kind of looked at it and I said, oh, this is incredible. And I said, well, but I don't think other people in Europe would like this, but they were voted one of the highest. And so Mm -hmm. it's kind of weird how Ukraine has been kind of cutting edge in many respects. And I think Anuka is a good example of that. (laughs) One interesting detail that I, I was watching an interview with her in English, she talked about how much Chernobyl affected her and her family. Her father was one of the liquidators of the, and that, that was the word that she used, which is probably not a you know, great translation, but for Chernobyl, which I assume just meant assisting cleanup and evacuation and restoration. She herself, when she was in college, studied the, the people who suffered from Chernobyl and its effect on the culture and the society. She wrote her undergraduate thesis on that very fact. <laughs> and it's interestingly, she's done in her original album, she did an, a song that was called 1986, which was about, not on the album that we're listening to today. And then apparently one of the tracks that she has is also sort of a reference to Chernobyl as well. That's kind of some background about Anuka to get started with. And and just want to mention one other thing that's interesting, maybe people who are not on e-music don't have to worry about, but I always have to spend my credits and they have two versions of this same album, Mosaica. They had a live version and they had a studio version and they both had their pros and cons. And I would ask you, do you have any preferences? I eventually went for the studio version, but then I, while preparing for this, I was watching the YouTube, like a live performance, which I assume was the basis for the recording. And I just love the live recording, watching it, but also listening to it. Did you have any feelings about live versus studio? I think in in general, if the live version is completely faithful, then I am probably not as interested in it. As you've mentioned, seeing the instruments played live does have a a certain effect on light shows and so on. So I I will generally choose the studio album. One thing that's interesting is they had a previous album called Anuka, which is just a self-titled album. They had individual tracks, which were very interesting. And having seen the interval act in Eurovision, they did a song medley where they combined it and they also combined it with a bigger orchestra, a folk orchestra. The studio albums don't really have that big orchestra, although they have a lot more interesting sound effects. Mm-hmm. And so they sound cool either way, I guess. Uh, interestingly, in her interview, it's 2016 that she had this video interview, and the interviewer asked her, what do you think about playing Russian music? Should Russian music be banned on Ukrainian radio? Because Russia has basically invaded eastern Ukraine. And, and of course, you know, it's in musicians' self-interest to play both sides of the coin. And, you know, I think that her attitude was very sincere. She said, Russian music has inspired all of us and a lot of the Russian labels and the performers and the uh, songwriters and producers have been very generous with Ukrainian singers. I just thought that was interesting. On the one hand, I think that Ukraine has a very unique identity in that area of the world and it's very distinct from Russia and Belarus and all Mm -hmm. that. I think some of her songs have political messages. Sure, She's not going to get into to hating on Russian music musicians simply because of what their armies have done. Mm-hmm. That's background information I found interesting. Do you have anything to add? 
I got to say, I'll, I'll address many of your points in, in just a second. First, I just okay. want to say that's probably the most educational album intro we've had so far. <laughs> okay, good, good. <laughs> <laughs> On our show. I'll have to link the source to the English interview. It's uh, what, Do you have other sources that you found all this information on? Because I, I, uh, I can tell you, I looked up for things, reviews and that kind of stuff. I pretty much drew a blank. On yeah, it, it, it was hard. It was hard. Uh, Nuka is it's becoming kind of a world act. She's mm-hmm. making a reputation. So maybe she's going to be disqualified from our podcast <laughs> after some point. Not yet, but maybe they'll get there at some point. Inroads to the U.S. market. And that's something I want to ask or mention right away. I think most people's introduction to Anuka probably was, as you mentioned, the Interval Act on Eurovision. Uh, myself, I just happened upon it through scouring e-music very carefully. This Eurovision thing, it's its kind of, uh, well, frankly, un-American, Robert. Uh, <laughs> Even though yeah. next year NBC has decided to do the American Song Contest, which is a prelude to entering Eurovision. So it's mm. coming to America. Oh boy, one way or another. Yeah, so we're, we're kind of insular and isolated, and usually we could put that off on all of us speak English, but you mentioned, I've never seen a single competition of Eurovision before, but since you mentioned that most of the songs are actually sung in English, then there's not really any excuse. Why doesn't Eurovision, why don't the, the superstars of Europe pierce the U.S. market, even if they're singing in English? I think there's kind of a business reason that the businesses have to agree to sponsor it. Like, you have to find a network to do it. And even though it's called Eurovision, Australia is a member. Israel is. Uh, Morocco used to be part of it. It's sort of like wherever there's business interest. And, you know, some countries drop out. I think it's inevitable that the USA will get into it. USA, unfortunately, they're drowning in song contests. And yeah. I say that as I don't mind the idea of a music contest, but one, it's overly competitive. And a lot of it is they just sing cover versions of well-known songs. And it's yeah. so bland. Basically, in the on, in the U.S. television, they focus more on the coaching aspect and mm-hmm. the improvement aspect. And I that's, that's that's interesting and and the celebrity coaches i mean that's that's interesting but none of them do their own original songs and it's kind of like that defeats the whole purpose of it I'd now in, in contrast eurovision you are submitting an original song that's absolutely wonderful unfortunately what happens is that every country has their own judges and they may pick their own favorites and so there may be some i don't want to say corrupt but it's just sort of like they prefer their own style. And the other thing is that as much as I love Eurovision, the performers who do well on that are ones that know how to have a quick song, a pop song with an interesting message and an interesting look. And then they basically have to choreograph it and do it over and over again for several months. And it must be extremely (laughs) dull for them to do. Their songs are interesting, but just the whole process of them. I think 2021, if you can have a chance to see the full one, it's just extraordinary on every level. How did this band win? And I'm saying that in a good sense. I can't believe that they chose this weird sounding band to compete. Like Belgium, I think it was Belgium. They sent a group called Hooverphonic, which I just loved. 
And then uh, Lithuania had a fantastic group. And then they have some of the uh, former Soviet Union, the stands who participated. And they were terrific, too. You, when you watch Eurovision, all the bands, all the groups, all the singers are good in their own way. And it's sort of a love fest. The one who wins never deserves to win, in my opinion. But, <laughs> no, whatever. Yeah, yeah, I imagine. Yeah, I've never seen a single episode. And I wear it as a mark of pride that I've never seen American Idol or America's Got Talent or The Voice or any of that nonsense. I just uh, object to it on a gut level. To date myself, I did watch in elementary school in the 80s, I watched Star Search. Do you remember that with Ed McMahon? <laughs> yes, I do remember that. <laughs> <laughs> and that was all I needed. I, I, I understand it. Pageantry, beauty pageants, music pageants, that's not what it should be about. I wonder if, okay. you, if you think in general, is competition good for music? Does competition make the music better or does it make it more conformative and uh, the same? What do well, you think? In the sense of the Eurovision, that mm -hmm. they have to go through several levels. So the country has to choose the best act, and okay. then they have to go to the global level. So it's sort of kind of blandifying, making everything more bland or more, yeah. you know, packaging. So there's mm -hmm. there's a little bit of that, but I think that the people in Eurovision, they're just very open-minded to different styles, and it's really just a great encomium to all kinds of different styles of music. And one thing that was a very poignant moment, but hilarious in many ways, is that they announce the winners in this very unusual way. They award points slowly to increase suspense. And so last place, England got zero points, which is like a world record. No country's ever gotten that. And then second to last place was Germany, which also got zero points. And in a way, it was really embarrassing. What was even more embarrassing is that the Germany singer I actually loved, and I thought they, that group should have won. I still think they should win but they kind of laughed at it but then the people from England and Germany took a bow and they're going to be world famous because of the fact that they got zero points mm -hmm. so there's all these sort of like yeah they might not have won the contest but they might have become more famous in the long run mm -hmm. in the same respect getting back to the American song contest that sometimes the losers end up doing well otherwise they may end up being better t singers and quite frankly the fact that they're singing cover versions of songs means that it focuses on the singing, the voice. And that's interesting, don't get me wrong, but you're not really getting style. I definitely don't come from a music background, but I've always kind of grown up and reading music criticism where they say, oh, this person doesn't have a good voice. Uh, Madonna, they said that about Madonna. They said that about Linda Ronstadt too. Uh, she's, you know, not a really, not a really great voice. Uh, Britney Spears, I guess, <laughs> you know, Christina Aguilera has so much better voice. And yes, objectively, that may be true, but so what? What you know, are you going to do with I it mean, again? <laughs> but it's sort of like, what message do you have? What are you passionate about? What you, what's, what's this style? How do you, you know, you, you, don't, you can have a mediocre voice and probably do some interesting things. So that's kind of my main objection to a song contest in USA. And by the way, I know that you've been out of pop culture for a while. The big thing is the mask, which is where they have masks. Oh. No. Who oh, compete? No. And this is basically, <laughs> this is based upon a South Korean uh, game show contest, and it's really popular and it's really funny. I've watched the uh, excerpt, haven't been able to sit through one in its entirety. <laughs> but uh, two things I will give you a contrast with, which is Eurovision. Eurovision is just produced so perfectly, zero commercials, and there's no prize money. 
there's no like you know record deal they just sort of do it for the fun of it and it's kind of a passion thing and people countries kind of feel passionate about your own team your own country but on the other hand you're only voting for the other countries and so i mean i guess there's a little bit of that in the american idol and the voice and and all that it seems to be more about are you telegenic and do you have an interesting mm-hmm. good voice and that's mm-hmm. not all what i think music is about no, certainly. It all it all seems beside the point to me. And for the winners of the American Song Contest, the, the mark of their staying power is that you can find their piles and piles of their CDs and thrift stores, Goodwill and Salvation Army all across America. That's uh... <laughs> And yeah, to be fair, but for some musicians, that's good enough. Right. But frankly, they end up on Broadway. They end up in musicals a lot, too, by the way. Yeah, yeah, I suppose, I suppose. But, you know, what you mentioned with Britain and Germany getting zero points, certainly if they're not getting fame and popularity from it, for that reason, they're probably getting something more like notoriety. Another crazy example, there's a meme in 2010, I think, Moldova got last place. They got the lowest number of points in the finals, and somebody happened to discover the video, and it's been shared as a meme, and the meme is quote, epic sax guy. And it's basically this funny looking guy who's playing the sax to this tune. And everyone loves him. He's become more popular than even the first place winners because of this. And the song they performed, the Moldova song from 2010, is absolutely fun and extraordinary. And I think it's one of these things that Eurovision can get repackaged and kind of memefied. And that's a good thing. So maybe it's better not to win. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> could be. Back on, uh, I don't know if you have more to say about that, but on Anuka, you mentioned telegenic and a funny looking sax player. You also mentioned that sometimes you think the best singers are often the ugliest ones. They're more interesting if yeah. they're not also yeah. looking like a supermodel. Does yeah. Anuka violate that rule? She's pretty. No, <laughs> uh, she, she kind of has this female, mystical, talented female persona. And I'm sure she milks it for all it's worth. But she's truly talented in many ways. One thing, they're inventive and they're not trying to be too weird. Sometimes when you get started, uh, you tend to be out, you can be outrageous. There's so much rap stars who get started by being really raunchy. And I guess maybe it's a different environment in Europe. Some styles of rap, but I don't think that happens. And this is very poetic. I mean, both of these albums that we're talking about today are extremely poetic and they have messages. Anuka in particular, they've understood it is about image. I mean, image matters a lot. So they produce some really wonderful videos. Russia is pretty good at doing musics to accompany songs, but Ukraine, I don't know how they do it. The bands that I follow, they just have incredibly striking music videos. She wants the band to become famous, but also to have very striking music videos and to be memorable in that way. I want to get to music videos in a second, but first also on Anuka's voice. You mentioned American song pageant they value the pop singer who's able to belt out and say hold a single note or a, a single word like you for an inhumanly long time like I'm thinking Adele and Whitney Houston like that oh, yeah. is the mark of a great pop singer diva is that necessary Onuka doesn't really do that does she you're absolutely right about that but she has some great moments and I should say that the Anuka imitator the go a the one that competed in Eurovision and did very well this year she ended on this incredible note <laughs> This single note that just yeah, you made your heart stop. I mean, I think it's a, 
combination of things. She definitely knows how to make her voice work and do interesting things. On the same time, it, she understands about the, the pop, the dance, the rhythm, making the rhythm work out. Some of these message songs are, she really has a beautiful voice. And what she can do is it can kind of contrast with the musical arrangements. The one song, Strum, which I think is very beautiful, very beautiful. She can sing these sort of thrashing songs, like Guns Don't Shoot, sharp, militaristic songs almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And at the same time, she can do the soft things and let the instrumentation carry things away. I think that's all very true. I just think that Anuka and Mireya Villar, neither of them, I would say, is somebody you would listen to and say, wow, she's got a really great set of pipes there. Like, this is just an amazing voice. So I think, yeah, I think you're onto something that there's a lot more to the gestalt, the the harmony, the interplay of the different elements to all these songs. And that's what makes them more interesting than just let's focus on this one lady's voice. Let me just ask you, thinking of American singers, are there any female singers, maybe male too, who are known for being able to play lots of instruments in addition to singing? That's kind of her shtick, that she can do a lot of things. And, you know, I realize that Anuka is not just this one singer, not just Nata, but, you know, her husband and and all the other people. And an orchestra sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I guess I could spend time, and maybe Europe has better counterparts, but in USA singers, I can't really think of anybody. And I know that, uh, I don't want to say Madonna. I was (laughs) Her instrumentation? I don't know, yeah. Virtuoso at what what instrument? I don't know. Now, I thought this album, it had a lot of interesting themes and a lot of different sounds and different moods. One thing that's great about both of these albums is that they both have liner notes. Apparently, the Anuka one has an English version translation of the liner notes. There's a beautiful song, a beautiful song. One of my all-time favorites is All Friends. Just lovely and kind of sad and beautiful. And it was, maybe it's not that important, but she mentioned that she wrote it in memory of this famous Ukrainian singer who died one day. I didn't know the name of the singer, but I recognize the group, and it's a very famous group in Ukraine. The singer's name was Kusma, which is a nickname, and the name of the group is called Skriabin, Skriabin with a K, and I'll I'll provide some links for that for anyone's interested. Skriabin is very similar in the sense that they have a nuanced sound. The singing is very good and kind of catchy and all that, but this is a very unusual sound, pleasant and fun and harshness. There are things that are sort of dissonant, but generally it flows. It's very fun music. Scrap is more fun, whereas Anuka is a variety of styles, can do the slow mm-hmm. as well as the, the fast and the hard. I think when you have a variety of different tones on a pop album, it's it's more often that some are danceable and some are sentimental. Uh, if anything, they're all recognizable as pop, as in I could imagine hearing this on the radio, but they go the, straight for the heart or their jams or barn buster or some kind of thing that everybody's playing out of their car speakers or something. And I think, yeah, yeah this, this album does that very well, mixing mixing different sounds and tones and you know tempos and etc. This is actually very popular. I think she's got 11 million views for most viewed video, and the Eurovision Interval Act video itself has four million views, which is usually way way beyond what we're allowed to have on this podcast. But I think very few people would you agree in the U.S. have heard of Anuka? Have you ever asked around or no. tried to push her on anybody? <laughs> I'm not even sure I would, just because you know if the lyrics aren't in English, then most people will you know that's 
90% of the population gone right there. Yeah, I have trouble just talking about Eurovision to any other American. <laughs> they don't want to hear right. me talk about it. Exactly. This is uh, maybe one of the best examples I can think of of getting tons of views on YouTube, apparently outside of the, the West and the U.S., without promotion. It may be a regional thing. I'm not sure what. I, I would say that, again, 90% of the comments on YouTube are in Cyrillic alphabet, so presumably yeah. her fellow Ukrainians commenting on it. There are millions think, of them. I think a lot of Europeans know what she's about, music people. She's apparently in 2016 or 2015, she came to USA, so I don't know, maybe nobody heard of her, you know, whatever, but I think she's come to the USA once. And it's funny, a lot of these singers from this region, they do make a U U.S. tour, just as many American groups, you know, go to Europe or go to Latin America and they discover new kinds of fans, I guess. Well, it's easier for pop if it's a universal thing. And I would say this, this has definitely got folk elements to it, but it's danceable pop music for the most part, which is popular everywhere all around the world. Very marketable, I would say. You liked any of the videos in particular? Did you see the one for Strum? That one was the one about environment and cleaning up trash and all that. And yeah, that was yeah. actually, it was just a very hopeful and uplifting song in general. And mm -hmm. it's good that you can give that mood to a song. You know, I guess environmental, we need all the help we can get. I mentioned before, this is something you probably didn't catch, and maybe it, it's not that remarkable of a track, but track six, which is called Arca, she wrote in the notes that it was a happy, joyous track. It made me think of Disney in a way, you know, <laughs> just lavish and very happy. And she said that it had to do with her amazement at the sarcophagus that was built around Chernobyl. And I don't know if, how much you know about this story, but they had to figure out a way to block the entire Chernobyl plant. And the thing is, you couldn't fly over it. They had to cover it entirely. They had all these bids. They spent a, literally a billion dollars. The EU spent a billion dollars on this architectural wonder. And it really is extraordinary. And basically, they built this building on a slide and they slid it all the way using manipulating blocks and all that to get it to go all the way over the nuclear plant. And she was basically writing a song in honor of that. I'm pretty all struck by it as well. There's a YouTube videos about how they build it and what it looks like, and it is pretty extraordinary. That is an incredible backstory for a song that is one and a half minutes long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, thought it, I thought it was a nice transition to the next song. The other thing is that there was a song called Golos. It translates as voice. You know, everyone has a voice. It was kind of an anthem. We are all together. Very much so. And I thought that worked very well for what it was. That song, Golos and Guns Don't Shoot, both give a very strongly militaristic feel to these songs. And I, I I wonder if we could take a minute there and consider the, the role of pop music in a country at war. I'm going to give another take to it. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> There's a Russian band that I bought an album for. It's one of my favorite albums. I think they're called Lube. They're very well known. Everyone loves them. And they basically sing army songs. They sing in uh -huh. a kind of army song style. They've been doing it for like 30 years. Even Putin loves them. And their songs are very catchy and very fun. And then they do very sad ballads and very poignant things are very beautiful. What we think of as a militaristic song or whatever, there are some bands who can make it work. 
uh, actually, I think I'm mispronouncing it, Lubiz, Lubiz, yeah, there's a Z at the end. But Ukraine doesn't really have that much. Jamala, when she won the Eurovision Song Contest, she really hid the protest features of it because you're not allowed to do that in Eurovision. That's the, the one rule that they have in Eurovision is that they don't want political songs. Right. It was kind of argued over whether this Jamala song would be allowed. Guns Don't Shoot was just so interesting in the sense that it was so violent. It was so thrashing. Uh, some of these songs are sung in English. And actually, mm-hmm. I forgot they were in English. And Guns yeah. Don't Shoot is kind of an obvious message, you know, too much violence in the world. And she said in the liner note, she didn't really have any single target except that in the world, there's too many guns and there's too much sure. violence. I think she has a special credibility in a country that's in a civil war, especially. And I, yeah, I've used it since the lyrics are pretty simple. I wouldn't call them especially poetic, but they are important and deep. I even used it in my class teaching my Chinese students about oh, good, music good. and politics. So yeah, I think <laughs> it, it worked. Using military driving march accompaniment for a pacifistic message, I think is a nice contrast. And you know, the funny thing is that guns don't shoot. Yeah, I could dance to it. Oh, for sure. I could hear it in a club pounding and and I could sort of get into it as well. And really, really strong, low brass bass line. It really shakes your core. You know, this is an event. This isn't a song. This is an event. It's going to move you like physically (laughs) sort of. Yeah, yeah. I loved all the songs here. They were all very interesting, but All Friends mm-hmm. was just beautiful. And I just want to make the connection with that. The second uh, album is that a synthetic provide voice that she uses, and it's just very well done, very poignant. And why do, would we respond to that? I typically don't like any sort of computerization or electronified voice, but I can get into it, I guess, in some ways. Well, once you go robotic, once you go electronic, you lose the soul is the is the stereotypical yeah. expectation. I think that this proves that it's not true. It's bunk. You can be sentimental. You can be deeply human while using electronic backing instruments or being based mainly in a, be an electronic group or be a synth pop group or something. What her folksy hardiness adds to that is that you know that she's a sincere human who is, again, to transfer back, it's going to be fun editing this to go back to war again. She's feeling all of these things in a country that is very much torn apart. And maybe music is going to unite the people. And, you know, she's being diplomatic with Russia, but presume that she is a fairly patriotic Ukrainian citizen and wants to defend her country and not let it split up into Russian East and get Crimea back or something. I don't know. Without going into too much detail, Ukraine really has had an inferiority complex mm-hmm. with regard to Russia. And Russia historically treated them badly. I think now, they have relatives, they have watched the same TV shows, etc. So it's not that open hostility, but there's a lot of tension going on. In fact, uh, I look forward to the prime minister coming to the White House in a week or two, and hopefully they can, uh, U.S. can take a stand in support of Ukraine. One more thing, you're familiar with the Slovenian industrial group Ibach that played in North Korea? Oh, wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. And their uh, entire album of political anthems called Volk from 2006, where they sing with that guy's incredibly deep voice. Uh, all of these countries' national anthems. Yeah, oh, that's wow, that's one wonderful, to, wonderful. Good, I never to compare yeah, with that. I listened to them a little bit in the 90s, I think. But, uh, sure, they've that's, been around a long time. They, they, they do all kinds of stuff. And also, finally, to close on the war theme, do you know the director, George Giddos, G-I-T-T-O-E-S, an Australian? 
No. Okay. He, he, uh, he's a great, I guess like you call him a super doc gonzo filmmaker where he puts himself into the documentary. He did a movie called Soundtrack to War about okay. the music the U.S. soldiers in Iraq listened to while they were fighting. That tended to be pretty hard rock, not surprisingly. Three angry young white men listened to from the Midwest and the South who are okay going to war and fighting and killing. But uh, great director. Recommend his movie Soundtrack to War, although I would much rather listen to Anuka than the, the music on that documentary. So I'm yeah. done with war. I'm ready to move on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was going to say, I just, the All Friends just blew me away and Strom blew me away and Golos was very, you know, passionate and moving and they were all interesting, but All Friends, that's two thumbs up for that one. <laughs> Straight up. I'll have to listen to that one again. Maybe with the, with the liner notes that, that struck you more deeply. I, I, I didn't. Yeah, it uh, did. Yeah, it did. I hardly noticed it actually. On the, on I, yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> so uh, different things strike us. And actually the first song uh, really struck me too it was very mm-hmm. soaring and uh, they were all good how would you pronounce the title to that first song she's singing i don't in know english. She's i don't know herself. she's shooting herself in the foot you're singing in english the song is great give it an english title that we can pronounce and search for <laughs> 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 yeah, that's uh, I know that feeling. But what, uh, could have been? what could have been? Am I allowed to tell you other singers that this reminds me of? Sure, of course. Go ahead. I want to mention a singer from Kazakhstan who was very well known in the 90s. Her name was Linda, and she has a lot of similarities with Anuka. She has this Eastern sound, I don't want to say drug-induced, but a very openly political and very youth-oriented, like, you know, we need to throw off the burdens of history. And when I went to Ukraine and lived there and I collected all these albums, Russia had a lot of Russian rock. They had a lot of fast dance pop. And then Linda, and it's spelled like it sounds, she had a very Pink Floyd sound in a way. Yeah, in fact, that's probably, she's probably directly influenced by Pink Floyd, but it was a lot of rhythmic, a lot of percussions, a lot of sound effects, triumphant and uh, mystical, very mystical and almost Buddhist. Hmm. That's one singer that I would link. You're going to laugh, but I was thinking of Blue Man Group and I had the (laughs) privilege of seeing Blue Man Group and they were comedy, but they were also about instruments and they were all about performance. And uh, Anuka was a very visual band and it was about experimenting with different kinds of sound. Maybe, okay, maybe I'm exaggerating. <laughs> maybe I just love <laughs> Blue Man Group too much. But if you've ever listened to Blue Man Group's, their albums for real? I, I haven't listened to the albums, only seen the uh, their Tiny Desk NPR concert is worth watching. The albums are very beautiful and partly it's just to sell at the concerts they do, but you know, obviously they don't have singing though. Lori Anderson, uh, last time I was kind of raving about her avant-garde pop in the 80s. She's kind of evolved over the decades. She's been uh, with the head of the Velvet Underground guy. They've done a lot of just weird experimental rock with lots of kind of dissonant sounds and all the sound effects and all that. And I see a lot of comparison with them, even though Anuka tries to stay within boundaries, whereas Laurie Anderson, Lonnie Anderson was a very beautiful actress on a TV show. Laurie Anderson, she wants to make a statement. She wants to perform at a museum pretty much, you know, wants to mm-hmm. kind of shock you, kind of shock music. And I don't think Anuka is really into shocking. She had definitely had messages. But, uh, sure, sure. And then kind of the Cranberries, you know, some, uh, in terms of protest songs. She can change a register from being mad at the system to being a very slow ballad. And uh, Zombie, of course, was Cranberry's big song. And Zombie appeals to everybody to uh, buck the system. 
I can hear the comparison on that one song, but otherwise I think it's a stretch. <laughs> Fair enough. I said by email that there's a Belarusian band called Shuma, yes. which is extraordinary. And they also, apparently they're in the same territory, folk electronica, and they're doing a lot of interesting things, although it's more dance club music. Mm-hmm. In fact, they're pretty media savvy too when they've done a few mm-hmm. music videos, although Belarus, you know, in terms of their music scene, is much less developed and they're much more dependent on the Russians. Yes, uh, Ukraine, there's a, there's, Ukraine is very European-centered. But anyway, Shuma, S-H-U-M-A. Yeah, I think it's spelled differently with their own letters there. I listened to their oh, 2019 yeah. album, and they're, I would say, more folksy than Anuka is, but a very good comparison also. Do you hear Bjork in her at all, or no? I hear Bjork in everybody European, so yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure. And I gave you the option of Boom Clap Bachelors. You didn't like them very much. Who? So hear them. Boom Clap Bachelors. It was another option for the alter, oh. the complimentary pick. You must have listened once and not found them interesting. Electronic uh, pop from somewhere in Northern Europe. Another option was Jorane, J-O-R-A-N-E, the cellist who also sings. Is that something that you thought that were kind of in the same vein? Yeah, yeah. That's why I initially proposed you could choose from among them. And then LaRue also, just for the synth pop mm. element. If, if you like any of those, you can probably make clear connections to Anuka. We both rated Mosaica five stars on eMusic. I don't want to get to ratings just yet but is that something that we should still be doing since they things disappear on e-music so quickly uh, yeah whatever All our work you know. <laughs> on down the tubes <laughs> uh, well maybe what i'll summarize is that i was always a fan of anuka from the beginning i haven't listened to them for a while and i listened to this and I, i've listened to this album before and i listened to it again in preparation for this especially since i've been reading liner notes and it's a lot more interesting a lot more beautiful than i initially thought Mm-hmm. It tries to overwhelm the listener with melody and, and broad strokes of sound, at the same time being upbeat and danceable, and it's it meant for big speakers, as you mentioned, the live performance. The choruses are really great, too, as any pop song needs to have a good, strong chorus. And sing along to them, even if you don't speak English, and she does sing in English sometimes, but they also seem sincere and anthemic and uh, important. She's got, as you mentioned, a message that she wants to get across. She's going to drill it into you, and you're going to like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to actually talk to you more songs and the music videos. Did you see her new music videos for the NIT and and again another one, Unpronounceable, C-E-A-H-C, within the last year or two? Probably, but I forgot. (laughs) They're playing that gigantic long trumpet and the the, the semi-flute that you mentioned earlier. And there's also really strange costumes where it looks like someone took their towel rags and then put them all together, uh, dancing with children in the woods sort of things. And uh, (laughs) domes of light. It's pretty mystical. Everyone should check those out. It looks like they're not going to be on a new uh, album anytime soon. They're just a couple of singles. But uh, check them out. Because of COVID, things may be kind of weird for musical development and their career development. We'll see. Mm-hmm. The song Animal, which uh, is sung in English and I think is relatable and like most of the songs, very catchy and danceable. My complaint about the album is it sounds a little bit similar to on the self-entitled previous album, the, the song Misto, M-I-S-T-O. Yeah, um, so. yeah. There's a little bit of similarity of rehash there in terms of the bass line and, the, and the, the, the rhythm, I think, sometimes. But that song Misto on the previous album is also translated into an English version called City. Uh, has it has its own music video on YouTube, which is very slick, very cool. Five minutes long, worth checking out. Have you seen it? I'm sure I have, and I don't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Okay. And let me just say, Ukraine videos for the musicians are always fantastic. And, you know, generally mm-hmm. music videos are fantastic. Ukraine, I don't know. Those videographers are, are just unbelievable. Oh, yeah. They know what they're doing, and they've got good material to work with, too. I did 
not find. I searched high and low. I did not find any quote unquote professional sources that reviewed this album. That only has the strum video has has one song that has a video on. I think that uh, that might be part of it too. Why it's not getting as much attention. Challenge accepted. I will do a review. <laughs> <All right. laughs> okay. Okay. Rate your music is very mixed. Rate rate your music only gave three out of five stars on average, and there are sixty seven votes. So that's so that's almost approaching a consensus. I couldn't find reviews. Uh, so yeah, get it, get it out there. I think there was an Amazon review that somebody obviously wrote in English as a foreign language. If you like amusingly bad English, check out the Amazon review. What do you think comparing Mosaica to the self-entitled album? Which would be your preference? The self-entitled album I like better because it had several of the tracks that were on the uh, interval performance and they were definitely danceable and whatever. This one was more, more expressive, I think. As I said, I didn't really take the time to listen to the lyrics or to kind of translate the lyrics. And, you know, it's really easy to translate lyrics now. And in fact, I sent you a link to a, yeah. a website that does Russian translations. You know, people just contribute their own translations uh, and it's cool. wonderful. All right. All right. I'm actually the, just the opposite. I thought there were more hits, I think, more singles on this, the newer album. So the first one has some good songs. I, I was surprised that Time was the one that they made the music video for. As I mentioned, Misto. Did you listen to the, the their debut EP from 2016, Vidlik, which is their, also the oh. record label? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Like I said, I love I love the whole thing. This one is a little bit different and a little bit more an extension of their original kind of voice. Interesting, but I'm only going to talk about this today. I don't really, I can't really compare it. Except it's, this one seems more fully realized. It seems like an album. The other one, seems, uh, the, the, the other yeah, one was yeah, yeah. pretty much an EP. So well, I mean, the the self entitled one's a full album, but I think yeah, I, I I think the production value is very very high without being overproduced, which is very very difficult to do. I think. Are you ready to? give a rating for this album two thumbs up five stars <laughs> ten five stars 99.6 star wow. wow that's impressive why why superlative why is this the best thing ever <laughs> Like I said, I I kind of have two ratings, either terrible or, or terrific. So that's kind of how I am. Like most people, I think. So that's that's relatable. Very relatable. Well, maybe three ratings. Uh, indifferent, hate it, or love it. Okay. Gotcha, gotcha. I'm much more in the middle on this because it is a pop album. And we'll talk about this in the transition to our next album pick. I appreciate things being catchy and accessible in your face, even uh, danceable. Uh, something you can imagine on the radio. But I don't think that this is especially groundbreaking. I think it's a, a great pop album, great electronic synth pop dance album. I, I, I like a lot of the songs on it. There's only a couple that I am not super fond of, but nothing I would skip. So I would listen to it from start to finish. But I think that within the style of pop music, that's so limiting that you have to go, okay, here comes the chorus. Let's let's uh, get ready to dance. Here it comes. Okay, here it is. Let's dance. Okay, now that's over. <laughs> <laughs> you know that's coming every song almost, unless it's one of the sentimental slower tracks. So as an album, I would give it an 8 out of 10, which is about as high as I can imagine for a pop album. And I, as I mentioned, the self-entitled, I would give a 7, 7 out of 10. And so when you give this album a 10 out of 10, two thumbs up, where do you where do you go higher than that for the self-entitled? <laughs> uh, you can't go higher than that. That's why you need a rating like an 8 or a 9. Well, <laughs> so that you can okay. Say something's even back. better. <laughs> What's the name of the Pitchfork. Pitchfork mm -hmm. is famous for their their numerical ratings, oh, which yeah. they'll they'll have these long reviews that will say Excellent wonderful points. things, and then the re the point value given to it will be five point three or five point five <laughs> or some ridiculous, yeah. and it's like who cares? <laughs> <laughs> 
Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. How complicated you want to be is it's only your your legend in your own mind of where where, where your point maybe, makes maybe, actual difference or something. Maybe if I had 10 albums or 15 albums and I had to rank them and I had to kind of, you know, give them on a 10 point scale, maybe I could do that. But we'll get there over time. We've got another several episodes left to board, I think, given our backlog of things we want to talk about in the future. All right. Well, I think that covers for Mosaica. So to transition between Anuka and Mireya Vilar, whom I will not ask you to ever pronounce. We're, we're struggling with that. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll handle the saying of her name. I think there's some similarities. A lot of things we can talk about. Obviously, they're both fairly poppy and electronic. They both have two studio albums each from the mid to late 2000s. Despite being pop music, neither of them is on All Music Guide, surprisingly, in a way that they're very different, is that despite not being well-known in the States, neither of them, Anuka has, of course, many millions of YouTube videos compared to, I think, Maria Villar. Her most popular video is a music video for the song Podria, and it yeah. has 2,000 views, which is you know very small. Most of her videos are in the hundreds still. So very, very, very obscure in, in the case of Mireya Bilar. Onuka is expansive and maximalist, uh, where I would say Mireya Bilar is more micro and self-contained bedroom pop. But both of bedroom them have pop. elements. Good, 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 yeah. good, good. I think... Uh, <laughs> Both have songs that could be considered also dream pop, which we could compare to various styles. Dream pop versus actual pop versus synth pop. It was a comparison. What's the difference between synth pop and dream pop in your view? Want to start there? Do you use Probably, those terms? Yeah, and I was struggling. I, I kind of wrote down space pop, but dream oh, pop. Okay. Uh, I just want to begin that even though I just love this album to death, that I began by trying to think who can, what albums can I compare it to? I came up with a list, but it was like, I know some dream pop and I know some synth pop and this woman doesn't sound anything like that. I can't compare them at all. I wouldn't call it dream pop just because the type of singers that I would identify that with. But I think she's probably she she deserves to get an honorary degree in that um, major. So she could be dream pop if she wants to be. OK, I think dream pop has a more ethereal atmospheric sound to it. I think I've mentioned several times my guest hosts from Oberlin have mentioned that uh, Beach House is the standard bearer for Dream Pop perhaps today. There you the go about Beach House. My God. <laughs> they can't, they can't, are you tired of hearing about them? I you don't know. Have, <laughs> no, okay, first of all, I have nothing bad to say about Beach House, but you've mentioned them a lot. And in fact, I, you can I, probably it, say, <laughs> say the same thing about things I mentioned. So, you know, forgive perhaps, me. Perhaps, perhaps. I don't need to mention them again in, in this episode. So I, I love them and, you know, they're they're well known. So yeah, bedroom pop versus also synth pop. I would say synth pop is much more in the wave of uh, Lady Tron. You're familiar with Lady Tron? Oh, my God. Yeah, of course. That's who I was yeah. trying to think of. But she, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. Although she's definitely disco. Dis, she's, I wouldn't call her dream pop. but uh, Disco? Oh, no, no. That's what I'm saying. Lady well, Tron, disco, disco, pop, in, disco in the European pop Disco features. in the European okay. sense. Disco is... Disco. Uh, okay, there's the, the global for, sense. There's the global the, sense where everything everything electronic and danceable gets lumped into disco in Asia. I'll tell you, ugh, I hate Yeah, hate that. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> drives me crazy. Yeah, Lady Tron, and that reminds me, there's another singer. I'm, I'm sure there are good good comparisons with this. She's a very unique. I think Onika is very unique, but this singer... She has just a wonderful sound and she has interesting mood. I guess dream pop would be the best category to put her in. Usually dream pop sort of like vague stuff and it's sort of like ooing and eyeing. <laughs> and even though there's 
There's Not a little usually bit of about that. the lyrics. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Maybe it's just because I took the time to translate the lyrics that I'm excited about them. Probably my reaction would be the same, but I have mm-hmm. a lot more respect after having seen. <laughs> Let's take a, a few steps back in abstraction, talking about pop music in general. What is the difference between pop music versus popular music? And what is it contrasted to? Wikipedia also adds something called, quote unquote, chart music. How is chart music different from pop music or pop from popular music in your mind? Is there a difference? Oh, oh, chart music is a very good term. Actually, I've been listening in the last 24 hours to something called Yacht Rock, which (laughs) happens to be what? Vampire Weekend? (laughs) Yeah, but in the 70s and in the early 80s, there was this sort of inoffensive music that was middle of the road and sort of bland, and you'd be easy to ignore. Kind of like Brian Eno's wallpaper music, in a way, or music that... That you kind of are embarrassed about because it's sort of fluffy and cloudy and all that. Guilty pleasures. Think, yeah, yeah. And apparently somebody came up with the term yacht rock and to refer mm-hmm. to kind of this California sound, the Eagles and Star- Starland. Yes, yeah, that sort of thing. You know, I was listening to a band which is much maligned, the Starland vocal band. They did this song called Afternoon Delight. And I was listening to it again today, and I was just really remarking to myself about the arrangements, how even though it was a very inoffensive, it was a very low key song that the arrangements were very sophisticated. The sounds were very sophisticated. And, you know, somebody said, well, they they sing, they'd be good live. But and that's true. But it was they were a studio band and that this song was just a great studio track. You couldn't do that in a live setting as well. So I think that pop has this sense that you have a lot of intensity, you have a lot of beat, you have kind of a simple refrain. I guess it's really good, though, when something comes out of nowhere and like Billie Eilish, I'm not I don't really love her. I really don't. But it's just an interesting sound. And I think that people respond when it's something that is not factory produced. These two bands, certainly, I think that a lot of musicians except for the ones who come out of American Idol and all that, who are really self-consciously trying to come up with hits and team up with people. But your average musician is going to do some interesting songs and they're going to come up with a unique sound. They're going to play with different sounds and make it sound interesting at the same time pleasant. It's more about the pleasantness of it when you talk about pop music, pop music as a style. Pleasant yet not going all the way into easy listening. It's not usually... Yeah, pleasant and inoffensive. And yet, at the same time, we get sick of it after a while. And, you know, some of it (laughs) sort of blends. I mean, I used to... And in the derogatory sense, but I was kind of laughing about it. It was like half of Asian music sounds like the Carpenters, even though the Carpenters are truly great. But it's sort of like I used to do a blog about Asian music in the 2000s, and I was catching what was around the 90s and the 2000s. And a lot of them were movie soundtracks and all. And all the music just sounded very similar and to Western ears, very bland. And yet after a mm-hmm. while, I listened to them and I say, some of these are really uh, cool. And I'm sure that you've gotten m- way more into it. You've heard the different kinds of sound uh, rather mm-hmm. than the, the bland love ballads. Canto pop most of yeah, yeah. <laughs> China. So, yeah. Not a fan, not a fan, I gotta say. <laughs> to go with the Wikipedia definition, I think contrast that's drawn popular versus is classical and serious music, I think, is the first one that needs to be drawn. But then within pop versus popular, I think pop music changes. It used to be rock and it became more commercial and then became hip hop and so on today, I would think. So 
pop, I would say, is kind of a shifting, amoebic, uh, unstable and dynamic kind of an idea. Whatever is most popular is pop music, whereas popular music is just contrasted with a classical and serious music. Would you agree with that? Or Yeah, and I think that production, the producer has a lot to do with it because a certain kind of producing style becomes the norm. And then everybody says, oh, that's succeeding, so let's do that. And mm-hmm. they still want their songs to be interesting and unusual and their singing voice to be unconventional. But have you ever had this where you listen to a greatest hits from a certain decade? And even though the singers are all different, all the songs sound alike. And I found that with the 80s music. The 80s music sounds alike. And it's very hard to, when you get down to it, there's just not much variety in the sound itself from the studio, from the instrumentation, the backing. Even in the the singing style, Adele... I don't know who Dell is, really. And I really don't know who Billie Eilish is. And, you know, they have a singing style that's sort of interesting. And actually, who's the other one? Lady Gaga. And they sort of become the standard. Right. And well, you either reject it or you follow it. It goes to the pageantry and conformity connection there. Yeah, if, uh, if something is popular, everyone's going to converge around this kind of thing, the, the millennial whoop, as someone has called it. There's a certain kind of... Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Three-note... Uh, uh, passage clip that everybody does and they say oh it's got that in it so therefore it's popular and it's going to go straight to the top of the charts or something I don't know well there are some styles that are just so understated and the thing I'm thinking of is the Smooth Operator song, Sade, Sade. <laughs> okay. You know, I heard her music in the background, but I never really listened to any of her songs except in the last five years, maybe. And they're very beautiful and straightforward. And yet, at the same time, there were times in my life that I would listen to it and I would have just gone past me. I would have ignored it. It wouldn't have it mm-hmm. wouldn't have struck me. And maybe it's just because I'm my uh, crotchety old age where you know, <laughs> I prefer things that don't make my heart pound too hard. But uh Jeez. No, and you mentioned the 80s being kind of samey, and the sound of the 80s is something that a lot of people try to recapture nowadays with the nostalgia and so forth. And when I was in college, everyone was going to the disco and wanting to listen to 80s music. And when I went there, I thought, and they played the music, and I thought, this is not the 80s music that I like. And it is all samey and similar. So I can definitely feel you on that. I think there's actually a 20-year lag. You can't go back 10 years because it still sounds pretty crappy. But 20 years, (laughs) things will sound really great. Everybody has a nostalgia kick for a certain decade. I don't think I could go back to 2000s. No, I probably couldn't, even though that was when I really got back into pop music. But the 90s mm-hmm. still sound really terrific to me now. Great. And the Great. 70s have always sounded terrific. But anyway, both of these groups feel very modern, very with it, experimenting with a style and a way of singing and a way of presenting a melody and a message. I really enjoyed this album. I listened to her other album, and Mm -hmm. it was not as interesting to me for some reason. But these songs were terrific. They were interesting. She sings in Spanish, and the Spanish is somewhat sophisticated, the best as I can tell. I'm not really native Spanish, but there's a lot of details. There's a lot of interesting wordplay going on. I was totally oblivious to that. But at the same time, while listening to it, I was just saying, these are just interesting, fun emotions and fun play with 
the sound of her voice. The melody is almost minimalist, I guess. You know, it was almost like an eighth grader song. It was like a stupid <laughs> song that some high school girl would write. That, that's kind of what I liked about it. And well, you're the one who said bedroom. Bedroom, bedroom pop. Yeah, I said yeah, micro, that, that, micro self-contained. Yeah, do-it-yourself pop. It was very well done. Very well done for, for many reasons. I have, I have two questions before we get into this album. So okay. the reason why okay, I was okay. talking about pop versus serious music versus popular music, is it an oxymoron to have something called obscure pop music? Because I think no one has ever heard of these bands in the USA. So they are obscure. But obscure and pop they clash. You can't have unpopular pop music, can you? And then the other thing is regional. Somebody can be popular in one state and not really listen to another state. And it could be for simple accidents of distribution, whether somebody's played in a certain city before. I think there is a under globalization, that wonderful term that is encapsulated post-1990 world all the way to today, that there is one style of pop music, which is danceable, attractive people singing with a chorus for verse chorus verse format that is probably have some electronic elements to it maybe hip-hop is global there is a globally ideal aesthetic for pop music and i think these fit that style but they're also totally unknown i guess this this is where i'm having trouble (laughs) do you think there is a global pop style or not in the sense that you want to have a music melodies that are inoffensive and easy to listen to. Yeah, sure. And I always tend to think and tend to compare things to literature and storytelling. You can write simple fairy tales and make the language very easy that you can write a story that a fifth grader could follow. That doesn't mean that the storyteller isn't talented or that the story isn't great, (laughs) but it means that you're listening to it in a certain kind of way. You'd be listening. I look at different genres and I think that all music is obscure. (laughs) I hate to tell you that. What? You know, there's that Andy Warhol thing that says everybody's going to be popular for 15 minutes. To, yeah. And, and it revised to 15 people. I mean, Anuka maybe made a, a name for themselves, but uh, there are a lot of there are a lot of singers who they have their, their bunch of friends. And then they that's why a lot of them want to go on tour and especially to Europe. It's mm-hmm. a way to connect to people and to establish yourself as interesting and different. If you're a country singer in Texas, it's really hard to distinguish yourself. Yourself. And if you're a country singer and you tour Asia, <laughs> you tour Japan. Well, I want to I want to challenge you on the all music being obscure because I think there are certain songs, and they're not just all boy bands like K-pop. You could say is a global phenomenon now. You had Gangnam Style before that, and you had before that you had the Macarena and La Bamba and all of that. So these were all pop music. They were songs that transcended their language and their regional things, and were popular all around the world. And I think both. Onuka and Mireya Villar are working within that kind of easily, broadly appealing, accessible sound. But I, I think there is absolutely zero way that they're ever even going to pierce the U.S. market. I mean, how popular does an international pop song have to be before anyone in the U.S. hears it? What do you think of that? Why are we this fortress of insular, self-contained pop music and well, international hits don't reach us? Americans have always had a myopia about that. I sort of knew that all along, but and I consider myself very internationalist when I went over to Europe. But at the same time, I realized that a lot more Albanians know about American pop music than Americans know anything about Albanian music. I remember it's one of these things where they couldn't believe that 
Americans hadn't heard of any Russian bands or Ukrainian bands, you know, which in their world was that was what spoke to them. I mean, I think that people who are in their teens are a lot more sophisticated and music is having a cultural significance, a different kind of cultural significance. Just speaking about TikTok, just thinking about movie soundtracks, but talking about animation, anime and video games, for heaven's sake. There's so sure. many contexts that you wouldn't think of as a way to hear interesting music. I've heard a lot of, and I don't play video games, certainly, but there's a lot of these computer simulations, worlds, virtual worlds, where you can be exposed to different kinds of melodies. And that can send you down a rabbit hole where you discover a whole different genre, a whole different group of singers. And at the same time, it's unnerving. You're appreciating these singers remotely, knowing you're pretty sure that they will never come to your city. <laughs> and maybe if yeah. you were to travel to Spain or Kiev, you might be able to get lucky. But, you know, chances are you're not going to have any relationship except as somebody living afar. I guess I'm fine with that. I'm a blogger. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like to make the connections with the remote areas. I mean, for example, one of my favorite bands of all time is Franco from uh, the Congo. He's just a legend. He's a legend, a legend. He's Elvis Presley plus Jimi Hendrix plus James Brown. He's a saxophonist, a guitarist. Just it's sort of like, well, who can I talk to about that? I can no. talk to you. I can talk to you in the podcast. <laughs> well, on the podcast, you can introduce me, but I'd never heard of him. Yeah. No. Oh my God. Yeah. I think you've covered in a different podcast how some people really care about the kinds of music that they associate with, that, that they go through. And some people are just mildly interested and some people just don't care. And maybe they don't have time for it. Or yeah. maybe that you just reach a certain age and you just want to hear the golden oldies from the time when you've grown up. I'm sure all that's true. And I think it's probably true that with every generation, they become more conscious of world performers. So it wouldn't surprise me at all for Anuka to hit it big in a way that maybe we wouldn't expect, video game or anime or, or whatever. Yeah, she just needs to get connected to another medium that uh, is inescapable or somehow. Speaking of podcast or one thing that's a real big thing is I forget what the name of their title is, but they are the people who work for TV programs who find music to play in the background during comedies or during dramas or during movies. And they're in demand. And I often kind of laugh at how you'll watch this drama or teen show. And at the last five minutes, you'll hear this. What I actually don't like these kind of melodies where, where there's some sort of love interest and you, there's just sort of this lovely bland music in the background. <laughs> background and there's somebody mm -hmm. whose job is to select those things mm -hmm. and they have a lot of power over us now it's very easy who was the one who sang that song in episode three season six of buffy the vampire slayer and you can look mm -hmm. it up it's pretty easy to find out and this is how people are finding their favorite music nowadays just have to deal with that <laughs> I want to recreate that special moment that was just for them, but it was actually for millions of people all around the world. I think you've got a good theory there. We've overthunk pop very much. And, and actually, uh, I just want to say one thing that when you, mm -hmm. you don't know the lyrics, you don't know the language, you miss things. And that's kind mm -hmm. of good and bad. You listen to the abstract qualities, you listen to the to the melodies, and mm -hmm. you listen to the instrumentals. You'd be missing on some things by not getting the lyrics, but I've never really felt that bad. As you know yourself, music can be a good gateway to learning a language. That's a way for them to hear pop music. And I don't want to brag, my Russian and Ukrainian is certainly not good, but I would say that one of the reasons I've been able to keep it up 
to the level that I had always is that I listened to a lot of Russian and Ukrainian pop. It's also a way for me to get into new bands and stuff. There is there more of an Eastern European style that you could point to, or is it a pan-European that uh, Eurovision has cultivated, do you think? Less of a, of a regional thing. It's more of a time thing, because one thing that Eurovision, everything about Eurovision, they're trying to milk the nostalgia and all that. They will have all these interviews and wonderful things. And one thing they have been doing is that for one month, they will put a full broadcast of one of the old Eurovision song contests and they won't block it anymore. You could not watch Eurovision 2021. It'd be very hard for you to get probably uh, unless you did some VPN kind of things. Yeah, actually, you probably could do that. You probably know how to do that. But if you listen and watch to a Eurovision contest from like 1980 or 1979, you'd be amazed at just how different the sounds are. Rock music hasn't really struck, how every, every nation has their own style. And it's so different from the Eurovision of today. So I think that time is probably a bigger factor than regionalism. So again, there's global trends that everybody, eventually people get on the bandwagon, they've heard it and they want to adapt it to their own. They want to have a, a, a song that's sung in their own native language that's done in that style, popular style. But let's kick it with Maria Villar. Her album La Plaga from 2019 has 10 tracks and 36 minutes long. It is on the label Las Musas, also available on Bandcamp or eMusic, whichever you prefer. Either way is very well known. So now I'm finally ready to let you say more what you think about this album. Go ahead. I loved it. (laughs) (laughs) I want to say the most interesting thing about the album is something that you would never realize and I know nobody would ever realize that she was able to use there was a song that she did called Estado de Flow and I don't know if you mm-hmm. remember that song it was a very nice song yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a video for it too so mm-hmm. oh it, really that's wonderful I didn't see that at live, and, live performance not music video have you ever read a book called Flow it's by uh-huh. a sociologist this sociologist I'm going to spell the name for you C-S-I-K-S-Z-E-N-T M I H A Y I Sitsend Mihai or something like that. It's uh, from Czech. Quite a name. Wow. Czech, <laughs> and it's a very famous book. It came out in the 90s or 2000s. It's basically the whole premise of is that your brains can be more productive if they just don't follow any rules. You just let it yourself flow into the moment. She actually used the author's name in the song lyric. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> and I saw it in the, I saw it when I was reading. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. It was like, you know, that's the name of her song. So she definitely. <laughs> <laughs> it was just about staying in the flow, staying in flux. She wrote a note. She said, Mahali Synthemahi developed with a, a current of positive psychology. And, and it was like, well, one, more power to it for putting some thought into it. But the fact that she would use that word in the song, that's a level of detail, which I really appreciate. It's one of these singers. She's a lot more clever, a lot more interesting mm-hmm. than you would think if you're looking at the lyrics. Yeah, that song in particular, I think it seems like it's just a pop song. And uh, to know that that's going on is, is amazing. It's like she's singing it just for you if you found that detail, too. <laughs> yeah, to her credit, she put her ly- song lyrics on her website so it's with the help of google translate i was able to you know maybe not have a great understanding of the poetry of her words but just to understand in this one she's talking about sex trafficking 
<laughs> and and one right? of them, the song titled The Plague, I don't know what that song's about, but I think it's about blandness. I think it's uh, about living your ordinary life. How do you deal with that? And the La Plaga was very interesting in that she has kind of this very pleasant, fun, sing-song way that she sings things. She's kind of protesting it, but she's talking about being happy, but in kind of a subversive way. There's a lot of subversive well, just, in the way she sings, I think. With uh, the title that you know, it was predictive of a global pandemic, I think that's something right there. La Plaga Avanza, the advancing yeah, yeah. plague across the world. is. If it's about blandness, I'll have to check that out. I could say yeah, more well, about both of those songs. So you have- and I mentioned uh, before, there's a, a singer-composer, songwriter, Monk Turner, who wrote this album about an earthquake in Los Angeles, and it was called Emergency, and it just so happens that it came out a week before the big earthquake in Japan, so I guess you get lucky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or uh, I think there was something like there were 11 tracks on the album by We Are the World Trade Center, which came out in 2001. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> there was some real crazy coincidence with that, too. This could be one of those uh, globally important event albums, uh, if, if, if anyone cared to listen. <laughs> and so, like, the song Neon was the hardest song of the bunch, mm-hmm. and it was a rap song, and allegedly, <laughs> according to her notes, it's about sex trafficking, but not in a real... I mean, it, it's serious, and I think that she has a message and, and, and all that, but I think that you would never really suspect that it was that awful, just by the upbeat nature of the music. That song in particular, not knowing it was about sex trafficking, I thought it was for the jet set. And I remember something, something he Peru and uh, La Valencia and all mentioning all these places around the world. Like she's like getting around and going to all these dance clubs and <laughs> it sounds like a real great beat and da, 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 as she's saying. And it's like, wow, that's really tight. But it's well, not and, 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 then, and then should singers or any artist be writing ways to connect the dots? Is it good or is it bad? And I think it's for one thing, it's probably good to have the lyrics at, at least. Now, these people, both Anuka and Filar, Fal- what's her name? Mireya Vilar. 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 Yeah. Vilar. Vilar. They both are unique in the sense that they're writing, and they're not long commentaries. They're just kind of explaining a little bit about what was a particular motivation or the impetus for a song or what they were trying to get at. And I guess that's helpful in a way, especially when you're dealing with an international audience. You have more thematic content to share? You're really getting deeper in the lyrics than I can pay attention to, but go ahead. Of course, I'm reading the Google Translate version of it. And I know a little bit of Spanish, but they just seem very poetic imagery. There's a lot of imagery and there's a lot of specific details, which I just thought were fun and interesting. There was one song called Spoiler. She said in her notes, meta literature. And it was, she said, I'm trying to recreate the sensation caused by spoilers and let the reader remember the feeling of being curious, intrigued, and uncertain. Well, on the one hand, that's really interesting and it helps me to make sense of the lyrics on the other hand who cares you know <laughs> yeah it's somewhat interesting and you know like i said i met uh, the anuka song that was written at the same time as that singer died or written to commemorate chernobyl it's somewhat interesting and at the same time these artists are sophisticated enough that they don't want you to have a, a one-to-one correspondence with what the messages ought to be now mm-hmm. one of my f- absolute favorite songs this is my favorite song of the year. <laughs> it's a song called A348. 
And that that hit you, huh? Okay. That's the oh, dream pop one. That is and yeah, that is definitely dream pop. And it's space pop because the lyrics are somewhat interesting. A spaceship that lands on an asteroid where all its inhabitants only speak of love and their life and happiness depend on achieving a romantic love worthy of any romantic comedy full of its cliche scripts and roles like boy meets girl and vice versa. I could probably have to look deeper in the translation to <laughs> figure that out. But <laughs> it's sort of a fantasy imagination about the world we live in and, and the refrain is, and I'm going to do it in Spanish, en este diminuto mundo solo se hablar de amor. In this tiny world, we only talk about love. It's beautiful and it's sort of detached. I thought her voice was just incredible. It was like a synthesized voice and it was very slow and deliberate. I could live in this song for a month. Yeah, yeah. And yet the thing is that her songs are only like three minutes long too. How do you create an atmosphere that is so immersive and hypnotic and so on and you're over in just a flash? Like I thought really impressive that she could do that. None of her songs are more than four minutes long on this whole album. This album is kind of that rare bird that all the songs are interesting. Maybe it was the first album, Luck. Maybe it's, you know. Oh, second one. album. No. <laughs> second album. Second album. Mm-hmm. But And I even thought that that last song was was kind of interesting as well. And it was very moody. And, you know, in fact, I was trying to think of, can we talk a little bit about comparisons? I was trying to think of, who does this remind me of? And I'm sure I've heard somebody. And the, the closest I could come to was Suzanne Vega. Because Suzanne mm-hmm. Vega has very syrupy, slow lyrics songs, but the lyrics are just beautiful. The details are just great. And some of them have stories behind them that are interesting. That's the first person I would think of. And then I'm going to mention somebody I learned about through eMusic. It's a singer no one's ever heard of, but apparently she had her day in the 70s. Her name is Jeanette. She's from Spain. And she sings in this very pop, but very slow. You would almost not notice her. You know how I was talking about some of these songs seem so cotton candy-ish that you don't really notice them and maybe they don't do anything. But she, her voice, she had a very similar style with uh, Jeanette's voice, even though Jeanette was following a very strict pop script. The Jeanette from the 70s. I thought she was from Mexico City. I couldn't even imagine she was from Spain. And mm-hmm. she sings some songs in English and whatever. But uh, also, Tangerine Dream. I was kind of hearing uh, a lot of Tangerine Dream. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, let, let me get to Tangerine Dream in a second. But with the Jeanette reference, I crown you the king of Vintage Obscura for this episode. And, and Jeanette's a wonderful singer. Okay. <laughs> and good, also I also want to mention is there's a poet, Gertrude Stein, from the 1910s and 1920s. And she basically wrote in very simple style with lots of repetitions. It would almost be posing to be a lot stupider than it actually is, but it's actually very sophisticated wordplay. Making an analogy with another genre, I found these songs and especially just glancing over the lyrics, not studying them very hard, very Gertrude Stein-ish, very fun and light, and yet they have something deeper that's going on. Yeah, that's really hard to do, I think. You can listen to it as a pop album. Normally, you just let things flow over you, and as in Aristotle, they flow as she's singing about, but also to know that there's actual poetry and deep meaning going on here. I hope it's not just becoming deeper in a mistranslation through Google or something, but yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm very pleased to know that. Next question is, okay, so I've done my homework, 
work and taking the time to do Google Translate and just look at this. Are we going to have to do this about every single song that's written in a language we don't, <laughs> not native to us? <laughs> oh, gosh. That, it, it's up to you. I like co-hosts who do their homework. I'll say that. <laughs> so I'm impressed. I yeah. would say no, definitely not. Yeah. I do think that we should, in this case, I probably should have done more diving into lyrics because there were so few reviews. I Again, I, this one for Anuka. Did you know that your reference to Anuka is on the third page of Google results for, for, for that album? No, no, I did not know that. But, you know, it's welcome to the obscure world. I blog about a lot of things. And one thing I blog about is indie authors and indie books. I'm just aware of how many authors out there who just never get heard. And I'm not saying that people are going to read my blog very much, but I know eventually people will and they'll find out about they'll, it'll be a way to find out about about authors and so the you know, same thing is true and of course I could say the same thing about your columns you know the things that you post in forums and reddit and all that it's a great it's, way to learn about it it will be there for the archaeologists of the future <laughs> to, yeah, to go and, back and, and find until reddit goes out of business or uh, that yeah. forum they lose their web domain but for a yeah. while for a while yeah no, and everything we complain about with obscure music is spelled doubly or several full in the world of literature, I'm sure, because fewer and fewer people are actually reading anything. My own reference to Mire Villar actually is on the seventh page. <laughs> I could not find any reviews. My reference on Reddit is yeah, as close as we get to an actual review of this album. I can also go back to some of the songs that you mentioned just very quickly. And we'll start at the beginning with La Plaga, which again, I think is great. I should have made more of the COVID-19 connection here, but I think there's a great disco bass line to it, which gradually adapts to the EDM of today. Very nice. Yeah. Let's see. Overall, the whole album has some really great intros, great bridges, lots of electronic subtleties, and the production is slick, but not showy. Have probably. you seen the videos of them, the three of them performing? There's the one spoiler shows the band as a trio on the, they're kind of in a, looks like Yeah, a, I think I saw two of them, but maybe that's the yeah. one I saw, but it's a small group, a small band. Mm -hmm. Oh, they're the magicians here, and <sighs> your, your sound is minimum depending upon you know how many people you're in your band and how much mastery of electronics you have at the same time going back to john denver and these two uh, people who wrote the song to country roads take me home i mean basically there are three singers they were uh, had a simple guitar accompaniment and they didn't need anything else i mean maybe they made a studio version that was really terrific but that's all you needed for three people and that, that mm -hmm. was more than enough. Mm -hmm. Simple foundation, and it's a completely inescapable global hit that I never want to hear again. <laughs> but, uh, no, you can see them performing, and I want to say, too, that she's not just a pretty face. She's not just the female vocalist that joins a group of guys who play all the instruments. She plays the instruments, too. She might be almost 30, and that might be too old to break out into pop fame. What do you think of Her that? Her voice is incredible. Just it, so beautiful. I mean, everybody has something that's beautiful about them in the music business but uh, I was really struck by just how flowing it was and how some of these electronic effects just sort of magnified it or gave it a tinge especially in the the one that I, I like the A348 one on both neon or neon to use the proper accent uh, there and, and estado de flow I thought she really excels at singing in rhythm the yeah, estado yeah, de flow yeah. it's the ah 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 it really just fits the rhythm perfectly great yeah and and it was just funny how she was just sort of taking, you know, a phrase and then just adding music to it and then taking another phrase. And there was a lot of repetition going on, I guess, in most songs. But uh, 
I am talking about the lyrics simply because I have them in front of me right now, but the lyrics were just a springboard. She was definitely playing around with sounds. Mm-hmm. No, it's very playful. Absolutely. Yeah. She's also not going to pander. This is all in Espanol. She's not going to sing any English. You're going to have to do your homework yourself and look it up and see what she's singing. And I'm glad you did. A lot of people speak Spanish, too. Obviously. Sure, of course. <laughs> there is a market out there. And by um, the way, fun fact, uh, in Texas, apparently there are more Hispanics in Texas than there are white people. According well, to the latest U.S. Census releases this week. That's the trend. We're moving towards the majority-minority nation. And what's that going to do to America? It's uh, something that's heavily debated, right? Can yeah, and, and actually, I mean, <laughs> Spanish is, is an interesting audience because I assume that she's playing for the European audiences. And musicians, in the one sense, they're small-minded. They have to focus on the local crowd. But on the other hand, they know that there's a lot of Hispanics, Spanish-speaking population in South America and U.S. The same way with in English. A lot of the singers in Eurovision sing in English. Probably some people in China and Japan sing in English for various reasons. Mm-hmm. It just for convenience sake rather than any special love or fluency in the language. Well, it's good practice. Everybody needs to use it. And yeah, I think that's why not that many people can understand Anuka in Ukrainian. So she's trying to reach out a little more, maybe. Whereas if you're singing in Spanish, you can you don't have to reach out. There's, there's enough people out there who can understand you. Other songs, Los White has a kind of an 80s urban electro funk bass line and accompaniment, which I thought was pretty neat. Cool. Hadn't, yeah. heard, hadn't heard for a while. Podria, that's the only one there's actual music video for. If you haven't seen it, you should check it out. It's an unusual dance number in that there are two men who dance around her. So I hadn't seen a video like that before. I think I remember seeing that. Pretty neat, pretty interesting. The comparison I want to make in the intros and some of the accompaniment is to one of my 1999 is my 1979 for you, sort of, maybe. I was graduating from high school. Great year for music. I knew that year very well. But go okay. ahead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so for me, one of my favorite albums from that year is by Orbital. I'm not sure. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The Middle of Nowhere. I thought a lot of the sounds on Podria, the intro to Podria and the outro to Ceres, the last track, C-R-E-S, both sounded to me like The Middle of Nowhere coming from that. And they, they both okay, could have I... extended to be, I mean, all the songs on that album are like eight and nine minutes long. And here they're playing this for a 30 second loop on a three minute song in this case. So they could have been another one of my favorite albums if they wanted to. Yeah, and that, first of all, that's an interesting comparison. Now I'm going to have to look, listen to it again and see if what I missed. <laughs> How do you think this group or this singer is going to change over time? Do you think it's going to be a fuller sound or a more folksy sound? Or Well, with two, two albums to judge by, can we say that there's a direction? There's clearly t- towards more pop and more electronic compared to the first album, which I agree with you was, was interesting and more rock and relatively acoustic. But I didn't normally I like the longer albums. It's, you know, it's 12 minutes longer than, than this album, Madre Salvaje. This is from 2019 and Madre Salvaje is from 2016. So in three years, that's a good chunk of time to change your sound fundamentally. And I think that's what she did. What's she going to do? I mean, how much you, you can't go more electronic than she already has, can you? Would she want to? Yeah, I kind of think of her as dabbling. I don't want a fuller sound from her. I hate people who say this. Can't you just do the same album over and over again? <laughs> <laughs> don't don't condemn her to that. No, please. I like evolution. Yeah, different sound both times. Is it a direction? Is it the, the future? Sure, I don't know. What do you think? It'll be very interesting. In their last podcast, The 13 Cicadas, I mentioned before that I watched a video of one of their performances, and I was struck by how they connected with the crowd so well. And I really would like to see how this kind of group could connect to a crowd, or is it a very esoteric pop experience? For sure. I would love uh, seeing it live. And I think it would would need to be 
a, it would be a small, intimate club rather than a stadium, probably. Yeah. Maybe she'll do more uh, Laurie Anderson avant-garde 80s pop star, pop singer. The Anderson, who was a singer, she kept the style and she made her message fuller and more interesting. I think she used the video element. Can I think of a singer who's similar to this one, What, where she is 20 years later? And again, I'd probably go back to Suzanne Vega. Suzanne Vega has really developed in a very sustaining way over her life. And she's had the help. She's had some hits. She's probably a pop star. I mean, heck, they made the first MP3 based upon one of her songs. So I guess you can't call that that obscure. But, <laughs> but okay. Uh, okay. I've heard of her. I haven't heard. I know well, who she is. <laughs> she's remarkable things, but it's a very interesting fact that she did this song called Tom's Diner, which was an acapella song. And it was just a doodle doodle do do song and apparently the guy who engineered the mp3s figured out that this song was would have been the hardest one to digitize and basically used that song as the baseline song it was very very minimalist poetic and that song tom's diner everyone heard of it it was a number one song for a while maybe she'll hit upon one thing that will be that way maybe her future is her song is going to be some tv producer who finds music will fall in love with her and start putting her songs in the background of of TV shows and movies and that's how she's going to become famous maybe we can hope we can hope so I'm not sure which would be the breakout song to do it on this album, but uh, they're all catchy and poppy, but I, I'm not sure. I, it's almost an embarrassment of riches where the, each any of them could be, I could imagine, on the radio. But what is the one that's going to break through to, I don't know, a non-Spanish-speaking audience or put her on the map, even among her own hispano-hablantes, obviously aren't paying much attention either. There are only 500 views for her videos. What's it going to yeah. be? What's going to get her there? It's probably going to have to be, as you say, like a tie-in to a movie or a video game or TV show or something. I would do some comparisons also to the previous album, Madre Salvaje. I think there were some nice, hummable melodies on there, but generally it was slower and looser compared to the, the tight compositions here on La Plaga. The tightness of these songs, is they're really uh, really well done. And there's some magic created, and um, we're talking about her as the sole creative force. In the videos, there are two males that do the synthesizer and do the effects, so I don't know who's the creative force behind that. Some of the guys looked awfully different, like some of them have a real puffy hair and a beard and there's other guys that was a thick shaved head kind of a guy so I don't know if they're actually the same members or if they're just rotating in and out for certain songs could be yeah, either way yeah. since she's a, a solo Maria Bilar I presume that she is solely responsible for the content yeah. creativity and so on I have a few recommended a few likes for them first is Singer Sen a Chinese singer who does electronic pop songs Sen S-E-N put a link in there and another Spanish band actually uh, that has some electronic elements and they really take advantage of how pretty the lead singer is in their videos the band is called and they might be Catalan again I, I couldn't tell the band is called Mo M-O-W they're impossible to search impossible to Google name <laughs> is made worse by their EP which is called WOM W-O-M so good luck finding it <laughs> uh, probably a zillion results for things that you don't want. So you can try that on eMusic. I think it should still be there. Are you uh, but kidding they have me? This, <laughs> they have some nice rock and electronic elements and similarly tightly wound songs. Great videos, too. You know, there's something people. to that fact. I've 
really been strategic as far as coming up with names of books and names of blogs and all that and to be searchable. And maybe I think the opposite aesthetic is, you know, you want to be as hard to find as possible and only people in the know can find out about it. It's sort of like the bar down the street or the nightclub that has no name at it. And you have to know somebody to get in. You found something that's good and you want to keep it to yourself. Hey, you're courting obscurity deliberately. Yeah, I, I hope they're not trying to do that. And that's why they're not popular. Anything else to say about this album? All right, let's hear your ratings. Oh, definitely a 10. And oh, you're the, so predictable. <laughs> and the A348 is now my favorite song of the year. Wow. All right. Well, for the year 2019 anyway, but uh, <laughs> close enough. It's not old or anything. So if you were to compare with Madre Salvaje from 2016, you definitely this one is better. Would you have you heard it enough to give it a rating or? I listened to it once or twice, and I couldn't get into it that much, but maybe I could listen to it again. And There are some good songs on it, I, I will say. Okay. okay. I'll point you in a particular direction. The later half of the album is, uh, I think, stronger than the beginning. That might be part of it. So my personal rating, I would give La Plaga a 7.5. I think it is catchy and poppy and also is doing enough experimentation. I, I'm not sure that it's substantial enough. I could have done without the hidden track, the public service announcement about the two-second rule, I kind of <laughs> dragged from the outro, which I thought was really cool. And then now that I actually have to skip the track, so it doesn't look like I've played it in my iTunes because I skip it all the time. But, oh, I loved uh, it. No. I loved it. I loved it. You, but, uh, you know, <laughs> as, as a novelty to be heard once or twice, yes. But if you're going to hear this album 20 times... I'm not going to listen to the PSA every time. So, <laughs> so it's hard and, It's hard to get that sort of thing right when you sample spoken voice. It's really hard to figure out exactly how much or how little to, to do because I, I do that too. I skip them. I wouldn't let it detract from the overall experience. I still really like this album. And from Andre Salvaje, I'd give it a 6.5. It's just not as compelling. I wasn't sure which songs would I play on the radio sort of thing. That's kind of my standard of within the middling range of those things. But still very enjoyable, well worth listening to picking up if you can subscribe to eMusic or uh, Bandcamp, both both options, both well worth the price in both cases. This was fun. Do you have any more? Yeah. I like I said, she reminds me of Suzanne Vega. That's the only comparison, and maybe Jeanette. And Jeanette is a wonderful band to uh, get into as well. Made that very clear, and I've kept you up until three o'clock in the morning in Texas. So thank you for staying with me. <laughs> no problem. No problem. We'll catch you next time. Okay. 